Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, welcome to uh, Saturday's edition of the Daily Bible Podcast. Feliz Navidad. It's Merry Christmas again. There it is. I don't even know how to say it. Oh, uh, mele kalikimaka is the thing that we say. That's right. I'm going to I'm gonna do that because it's still Christmas time. Are you though? By uh, the way, we were talking about it on the last episode. We're, we are recording this particular season of a podcast well in advance because uh, I'm out of town this week. I'm Gallivanting. Back to, I'm back now. But I was out of town, and so we weren't going to be able to uh, get these back all the way. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's Saturday. So here's what we were going to say: If the Lord does come back sometime between now and Saturday the fifteenth, uh, we're 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 not here. We you have just, been raptured. Yeah, but we pre-recorded these, so just know that we're not here. Right. And if we are here, we have bigger problems. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, it's Saturday the uh, 16th. Yeah, the 16th. So happy Saturday. Hopefully you're getting ready for church tomorrow. That's right. And for Christmas. Dude, how many of these have we done this week? We've recorded so many Let's podcasts. Let's count. I think uh, so 11? we did it every day. Yeah, every day, three a day, except for today. It's two. Many. And you know why? Because we love you guys. Because we love you and guys. And we think this is so important. It's worth investing hours of time into. So we hope you're benefiting from it. We do. We do. 11, 11 episodes is a lot though. It is. Yeah. But it's good. It is good. Yeah. All right. Well, let's jump into Amos 7, 8, and 9. 7, 8, and 9. We finish up we Amos. We finish up Amos today, man. We're getting closer. And then tomorrow, Obadiah. Obadiah. Uh, yeah. Hey, chapter 7. He is uh, warning the people. And it's interesting because he, he says, hey, uh, all right, stand back. Here I come. And... Uh, the then the, uh, the the prophet says the the, the people say uh, the prophet says there Lord please forgive how can we stand he is Jacob is so small Israel is so small and, and the Lord relents it's indicative of, God has done this before this is not new right I mean God did this with in a, in a sense with Sodom and Gomorrah when he said okay I, I'll I'll hold back if you can find this many righteous people I'll hold back I'll hold back I'll hold back until he finally didn't. He's, he did this with Moses in the wilderness when the people grumbled against Moses. God told Moses, hey, step back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow them up and I'll start over again with you. And Moses interceded and said, God, please don't do this. And, and the Lord relented. It's an interesting word there. It doesn't mean that he, he changed his mind. It, it means that he, in his sovereign outworking of his plan, used the intercession of the prophet or used the intercession of Moses or used the intercession of Lot to uh, to unfold his plan to say, okay, then I'm, I'm not going to bring this judgment at this moment. But there would be judgment because look at verse 7. I'm setting a plumb line. A plumb line is that tool that you use to measure what is straight. And so the plumb line hangs perfectly straight. And you can tell whether a wall is crooked or whether a wall is straight by its divergence from the plumb line. So as the Lord is going to hold a plumb line up to the people of Israel, he's going to see, okay, how straight, so to speak, how right, how correct is the nation. And what he's going to find, and this is no shock to him, is that it's not at all. And so like you would with a wall that is out of, uh, of plumb, you're going to start over again. You're going to wipe it out because it's, it's no good. And so God is going to do that with the nation of Israel. And that's what he's talking about here in chapter seven. Well, I think it's cool that 
the initial beginning of this chapter shows that it is Amos's intercession that stays God's immediate judgment. Right. That was enormously comforting to me and even encouraging because I think sometimes as as good Bible-believing Christians, we might devalue the role of prayer and saying, well, God's going to do what God's going to do. And that's using good theology in bad ways. Realistically, God ordains our prayers to be useful and to be utilized to do the things that he intends to do. So part of God's sovereign plans is to sovereignly use our efforts to accomplish those plans. And in this case, the prayers of Amos, God wants to show mercy. God wants to delay uh, for their sake, not for his, of course. And he does that through Amos's prayerful petition. So please don't be discouraged in your praying. Keep praying. Even if it doesn't feel like God's doing stuff, you should be praying. But even on top of that, man, I, I think the plumb line that we're, we're working with is obviously the word of God. The plumb line is evident and we should be in the word of the word by the word. In other words, we should be a people that are so immersed in it that we're able to see for ourselves if our, if our lives are plumb with a line of the word of God. Yeah, because chapter eight warns that if, if not, then one of the effects is he's going to take the word away. And that's uh, sad, man. It, it, horribly Famine. so. Horribly so. And that, that's that's what chapter 8 is all about. He's saying, this is what is coming. And look at verse 10. I'm going to turn your feast right now. You're comfortable. You're boasting. You're feasting. You're singing. This is great. I'm going to turn your feast to mourning, your songs to lamentation. I'm going to bring sackcloth. Sackcloth was a sign of, of intense mourning to every waist, baldness on every head. They would shear their, their hair. They would cut their hair off as a sign of mourning. And so he's saying, this is what is coming because verse 11, I'm going to bring a famine. I'm going to bring a famine on the land. It's not going to be a famine with regards to bread or water, but regard to the word of the Lord. You've ignored the prophets to this point. You've spurned the prophets to this point. I'm taking them away. I'm not going to have them anymore. And listen, we are in danger of that as well as a, as a nation. If we continue to ignore God, if we continue to ignore his word, I mean, we've talked about it before in this podcast, how much of an abundance of wealth we have when it comes to scripture. We've got apps, we've got Bibles, we've got all of these things, right? And yet, if we're not careful, God can remove that 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 influence from our, our nation, from our country, from here. Uh, again, we're not Israel 2.0, but we need to be careful of this as well, because if he did it to his people, he could do it to us as well. Which is why we want to be a lamppost, a lampstand of, of the word of God. Please pray that our church remain that way. If you're in a good church where the, the word is not in famine, that's fantastic. Pray for that. Don't take that for granted. Yeah. Chapter 9, at least a, a portion of it, verses 2 through 4, I, I titled the Anti-Psalm 139. Um, it, it's, it's similar concepts here, but not in an encouraging way, in a terrifying way. He's saying, look, where are you going to go to escape the judgment of God? I thought about the cops theme song. <laughs> what you going to do when they come for you? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's talking, if I go to the grave, you're going to take me from there. If I go to heaven, you're going to take me from there. If I hide on the top of Mount Carmel, you're going to take me from there. No matter where I go, you're going to find me, God. And then look what he says at the end of verse four. Talk about terrifying them, terrifying statements. God says, I will fix my eyes on them for evil and not for good. Yikes. Yeah, that's that's terrifying. And therein is that, I mean, the opposite of Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is all about God's good knowledge of us and how he cares for us and loves us and knows us so deeply and thoroughly. Here he's saying that it's the flip side of that. He does know us so thoroughly. And those that are evil and wicked, he knows that. And he is going to set his eyes on them, not for good, but for evil and judgment. So some people in, in church history have stated that there's a different God in the Old Testament than the New Testament. And when I see verses like this, I get where they're coming from. Like this does not seem 
at least on, on, on that superficial first glance to fit the narrative that we understand in the New Testament. You got gentle Jesus, lowly, meek, and mild, and those kinds of things. And you got Jesus in the manger, and then he's showing mercy to the adulterous woman. What are we often missing when we put a picture of God in our minds when we can't put these two things together, the Old Testament and the New Testament? What's going on? I think we're missing his grace in the Old Testament, and we're missing his wrath in the New Testament. And both are present. Oh, interesting. We see his grace in the Old Testament, even starting from the very beginning. I mean, nine verses after the fall, you've got the what we call the Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel, where he talks about how he's going to remedy the problem. He talks about, yeah, I'm going to put enmity between the the serpent and the the seed of the woman, but he's going to the serpent's going to strike his heel. He's going to crush his head. There, there, we see the the ultimate victory. Christ is going to win over the the enemy. We see Genesis 12. We see the the grace of God in saying Abraham through you will all the the nations of the earth be blessed. So we see God's grace and His compassion. Psalm 139. I just referenced Psalm 139. We see God's grace and compassion and mercy in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament we see God's wrath. I mean, even think about coming from the words of Jesus himself, Matthew chapter seven, you've got Matthew chapter seven, the end of the sermon on the Mount. And he says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who's in heaven on that day, many will say to me, didn't we prophesy, cast out demons, do many mighty works in your name. And I'm going to tell them depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. That's implying judgment, wrath, that's an implying that the the justice of God being poured out upon them. The, or when Jesus talks about the separation of the sheep and the goats for judgment's purposes. When Jesus condemns the Pharisees, he says, woe to you. He's saying, damned are you in that that context. Um, when he's pronouncing judgment. on our podcast. Yeah, well, but but that's 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 what he's doing there. Or when we read about the the the, the judgments of God that come with with uh, with the, the descriptions of hell in the New Testament. So I think we're we're being selective when we choose to say, well, the God of the Old Testament is a different God than the God of the New Testament. I don't, I don't think that reflects a, a thorough understanding or knowledge of the scriptures. Someone might say, well, man, God seems really mean. If it were up to me, I wouldn't I wouldn't do that. I would be kinder, graciouser. I would be nicer than God. What's the problem with that thought? You would you wouldn't be God. One of God's characteristics is that He is holy, and His holiness demands justice. And His justice means that sin cannot be simply pardoned and swept under the rug because He is no longer just. And and we understand that from a human perspective. If somebody were to do something awful to a member of your family, and you were to go to the courtroom, you would want justice done for that sin. The judge could look at the person that committed that that crime against you and your family and say, I, "Because I'm such a loving and compassionate judge, I'm going to pardon you. Go go ahead. You're you're free. You're free to go. I forgive your crime." Well, that criminal might think, "Wow, that judge is a, a a gracious, loving judge, and he may leave reformed because of that impact and never commit another crime for the rest of his life." But man, justice hasn't been done, and you, as that family member who's been offended, you're going to sit there and say whoa, 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 this is not okay. What has happened? This is wrong. In fact, that judge would have committed a crime against you by not bringing justice to to be done as it's demanded. So God cannot simply ignore sin and still remain a just, good God. God has to punish sin. So for us to say, well, I wouldn't do things that way. Yeah, maybe we wouldn't, but we wouldn't be just. We wouldn't be holy. We wouldn't be God. Some might say, though, like God can do anything he wants. Why can't he just forgive? 
Like if, I, yeah, you say, okay, he's just, but can't he just forgive? <laughs> that was a stupid, stupid joke, but just. couldn't he just forgive? Like he could just do, he's God. He's omnipresent, omnipowerful, omnipotent is the way we typically say that. Right. Why can't he just do that? Omnipowerful. It's a mouthful. <laughs> yeah. He can do anything except that which is contrary to his nature. That's why the old question, can God create a rock that's bigger than he can lift? Right. No, it's a logical impossibility. So that's something technically that God can't do. Can God be just in the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus if Jesus never dies for our sins? No, he can't. He can't remain just. So it's, it's can God sin? No, that's an impossibility. God cannot sin and stay God, right? So there are things that God cannot do. Um, when we say that God can do anything, that he's all powerful, uh, we need to, to qualify that because there are things that God cannot do in, in by very definition that he is God. Amen to that. Hey, end of Amos. There is a future for Israel again. Are you surprised and, by uh, that? Uh, hopefully not by this point because there is a, a rhythm to this. God can't help it, man. Yep. And he's pointing to that. And again, just a reminder, church, this is one of the reasons that why we are still and remain and will be dispensationalists to this day because right. that future is not going to be broken. Uh, Israel is going to be planted in their land forever and never again be uprooted. Is that right now? Uh, not, not finally, not, not in ultimate fulfillment. Uh, that, that is yet future, and we believe in that future reality as well. Amen. All right, Revelation chapter 7. Let's talk numbers. Revelation 7, as we back up uh, right before this, you get a question. As everybody's saying, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne in the wrath of the Lamb. Um, right before that, he says, they say, who can stand? Who can stand for great, verse 17, there it is, right after that. For the, the, the great day of the wrath has come, and who can stand? Well, the answer to that question is found in chapter 7. The answer is the 144,000 and the church. These are the ones that are going to be sustained, so to speak, through the, uh, through the tribulation period. And so here you have 144,000. PR, 144,000 literal or uh, metaphorical? <sighs> um, today, if you, today as of uh, 2.43 p.m. on today, the Lord's Day, I'm going to say, I think it, it refers to an actual number of people. That's, okay. that's where I'm at today. Okay. And you. Yeah, I would say I think it's literal. I think it's it's twelve thousand from every tribe. Okay, as it says in the text there, I do believe that it's one hundred forty four thousand. Uh, there there are reasons why people would think it's metaphorical. Uh, twelve is a significant number, obviously in Israel's history. There were twelve yeah, completeness, tribes. Right, fullness. 12, there's twelve disciples, twelve apostles. Right. So there's there's a reason why people would say this is metaphorical. But I, I do think it's it's literal. I think there are going to be 144,000 that are. I wouldn't be surprised though if God's like, oh, the, the number was just to represent like, hey, there's a large number a of Israelites. Yeah, a lot right. of people and there's a lot from each tribe. But one thing, I, I hope you're going to talk about this. This 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 still is like, okay, where's Dan? Why is Dan not part of the tribe listings here? You, and, and here's something interesting. I don't know if you noticed this. In verse seven, you'll notice Levi is there. Levi was not given an allotment, and not initially because they were the priestly tribe. They were the guys who had responsibility to care for the tabernacle and later the temple, and their portion, as God said, was himself. They didn't have land. They had God himself, which I think is a superior portion. And yet here, Dan's gone. No one knows where Dan went, and Levi is in there. And then not only that, you also see Joseph. Instead of seeing uh, Manasseh um, or, or uh, who's the other guy? 
Oh, no, Manasseh's there. Sorry. But you have Joseph there. That, that's the point. Joseph's there. And he wasn't listed in the allotments earlier on when the 12 tribes were established. So what's going on here? I was not prepared to address where Dan is. So <laughs> okay. if you want to address where Dan is, go for it. I don't know. That's the thing. I, I, okay. So there's, there's theories about Dan's absence. I don't know if I have a good answer, though. Yeah. Not, not an answer that I'd feel like, yeah, that, that feels like that's the right way to go. I mean, shooting from the hip, which is all this is, is, uh, you know, Dan was, uh, Dan was a location. Dan was dissolved. Dan was dissolved. No, Dan was a location of a, a lot of idol worship. That's where uh, Jeroboam the second, or Jeroboam, not the second, Jeroboam the first, that's where he first set up his altar was in Dan, and he that's where the, the golden calves were set up. So so Dan was a, the seat of a lot of idolatry that took place in uh, in the northern kingdom there. I, I don't know if that's indicative of why we don't find Dan here. But um, Joseph instead of Ephraim, that's who I was going for. So yeah, Joseph's there, not Ephraim. Manasseh's there. But Ephraim, his other son, gone. Yeah. Weird, right? It is. It is. And this is why I think, okay, are we dealing with a, a literal situation? Yeah. I still think that's, it's obviously very it's significant, but what it exactly means, man, we're, we're still, uh, we're, we're learning with you. I think one reason why I lean towards literal as well is because of the equal number from every tribe. It's, it's 12,000 from every tribe. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, could that 12,000 be, hey, there's just a lot from every tribe? It's possible. But I, I think he could have ever, he could have also said he's going to save a multitude, right? I mean, he hasn't been, he hasn't shied away from, using language like myriads upon myriads and thousands sure. upon thousands. Sure. So he could have done that and not use the specific numbers to communicate, man, there's a lot of people here. There's going to be thousands from each tribe. There's going to be myriads from each tribe. Instead, he used a, a specific number there and said, there's going to be 12,000. So I, I think that lends credibility to the the, the literal interpretation. Sure. Though yeah. it wouldn't be wrong to say this could be metaphorical for a lot of people that are gathered there. But it's not just them that are going to be preserved. There are, there's another group that's going to be preserved, though not uh, in the sense that they might want to be preserved, and that is they're going to be preserved through death, and that is the, the tribulation saints. These are those that are converted during this time under the uh, the the witness of these 144,000 or the witness of uh, the two witnesses that we'll get to later on in the book of Revelation. But these are people that, that do come to faith in Jesus and they die for their faith. And they're on the scene there starting in verse nine. There, there's this multitude no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes. And they're shouting out, salvation belongs to the Lord who sits on the throne. Notice they've got palm branches. This is almost reminiscent of the triumphal entry of Jesus, where you had the crowds greeting Jesus, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. God save us, right? And here is like the fulfillment of that. It's they've got the palm branches and they're saying salvation does belong. And, the, and we've realized that. John says, hey, who are these people? Hmm. And the angel says, they're the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. So one thing I want to remind you guys, don't forget, we're still in the sixth seal. So I know that the numbers, it's, there's numbers upon numbers here, but we're still looking at the sixth seal. Yeah. And we're going to open the seventh seal tomorrow in chapter eight, which I really wish they would have put the seventh seal with chapter seven. That would have been helpful. Seven, seven. Yeah. That would have been really easy for me to remember. But now you have to remember the seventh seal is in chapter eight, which when we'll cover tomorrow. You, when you get to heaven. You can pull John aside and say, John, could you have done this well, in chapter seven instead of chapter eight? <laughs> who who was it? Who wrote the who wrote the chapter divisions? I forget the name of the guy, but I'm going to cut to him. I'm like, dude, what did you? Why? Yeah, John's going to be like, dude, what's a chapter? Yeah, exactly. I don't know what that is. Hey, we will catch you again tomorrow uh, for Revelation chapter eight. Yeah, keep reading, guys. And Obadiah. Obadiah. All right, y'all. Catch you guys later on. See you tomorrow. Bye.
Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Mm-hmm.